I'm Darren, and I got dressed up for the day, in case you're wondering. But if you would open your Bibles to the book of Romans. Jonathan, we're going to go ahead and uh, run. I'm going to give you some cues. on the media, but I would like to read to you from Romans 8, in verses 18. If you've been around, you know that we are taking the scenic route through Romans, and uh, this was a, uh, a passage that has meant just a lot to me. It says in verse 18, this is Paul talking, he says, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. You know, there's a quote that Mother Teresa gave us when she said that, in the light of heaven, that the worst suffering on earth, a life full of the most atrocious tortures on earth will be seen to be no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. And somewhere Tom Bodell is going, hey, wait a minute. It's the Motel 6 guy. Uh, He's saying, though, that if you've ever stayed in the Motel 6, uh, if you've ever stayed in one of those roadside dives, like I I was on the road earlier in my life, and, you know, I remember those dives where the little towel, like a hand towel was the towel. And and he's saying that that's it. Like that's the, the most atrocious thing is that compared to the resort, you know, you're headed to the Dominican, the coast from here. You can't even compare it. They're not even the same. And he goes on to say in verse 19, for the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly because of him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pains. It sounds like conduit, don't it? Together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even ourselves, grown, with, uh, grown within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption the redemption of our body. In verse 24, for we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen isn't hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, verse 26, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Would you uh, pray with me? Lord, would you give us wisdom this morning as we encounter your word? If you have a word for each of us, whether or not it is a word that I say is uh, irrelevant, it is a word that you have for us today. And might your word be that lamp for our feet that you promised that it would be. In Jesus' name, amen. Carol Burnett. 
described what labor pains feel like. She said, take your bottom lip and pull it over your head. <laughs> the second pain hit. My wife said, and stood up in the stirrups. Grabbed my bottom lip. And said, I want morphine. I said, but dear, she said, you shut up. You did this to me. And on the next contraction, she told everybody in the delivery room that my parents were never married. breathing and I'm sitting there push push my wife's getting tired I don't want to push anymore I don't want to push no you've got to push dear come on dear you got to. I don't want to oh no no Bill tell him to give me some no dear you can do it no I don't want to graduate from the class anymore I just want to please dear come on you can do it and I look in the rearview mirror and I see the head and Johnny Bench is still sitting there like so I said, uh, isn't that the head? He said, yeah. I said, well, go get it. He says, it's stuck. I said, well, get the salad spoons, man. So he gets the salad spoons and the baby comes out. Now this is the greatest moment in our lives. This is what we asked God for. This is what we wanted to see if we could make. And I looked at it. And they started to clean it off. And it wasn't getting any better. And I went over to my wife and I kissed her ever so gently on the lips. And I said, darling, I love you very, very much. You just had a lizard. Because the thing changed colors three times. 
neck and head wouldn't work. It just kept... <laughs> and I said to the doctor, can you put this back? Because it isn't done yet. It needs to cook. Another three months, maybe. The hospital made us take it home. For you young people that have uh, never been on the business end of a baby being born, uh, you won't understand that. But <laughs> for all you dads, you're like, ah. you know, we've uh, we <laughs> Romans eight talks a lot about groaning, right, and birth pains, and and we actually had a little bit of uh, groaning and birth pains going on at at our house this week. Not Shannon, incidentally. Um, actually, I probably should back up a second. We had a rabbit named Romeo. Okay. Romeo was this lop-eared thing and just big and bulky and and uh, and Shannon in uh, when we go she went to the Tulsa she came back uh, with a rabbit. Now she has confessed to me before that I'm weak uh, when it comes to like we go to the pet shelter so she's actually not allowed to make a decision at a pet shelter without both of us signing off on it. Now and she knew this was somewhat of a flagrant violation of the of the thing, but. But check this out. So we, so they get home from Tulsa, and and Romeo is in the pen, and he is like flipping and flopping like a carp, and has done had a stroke. Okay, do you know that rabbits could do that? So, and we're like, you know, Lauren's like, we got to take it to the doctor. And in my mind, I'm thinking, oh no, we don't. Uh, Twenty-five dollar rabbit and a hundred dollar vet bill. We just get four new rabbits. We don't, you know, we don't take a disposable lighter to the fix-it shop, right? That's so. We, no, that's what my dad would say. I didn't say that. That's my dad. So we, it's a rabbit. And so, I mean, she's lucky we didn't eat it, right? So we, so the, we, we sort of, uh, and the, the, you know, those big crocodile tears when your daughter has them. And I'm like, oh, that's too bad. It's too bad. It's a rabbit because that's, the tears will not work on me. But we will, um, we love them and we put them in bed that night. And we woke up fully. Uh, the next morning, Shannon went out to the cage early, fully expecting to find Romeo. Uh, dead, and we could do the little funeral and, you know, say some nice things about the rabbit. And... But he wasn't. He was up and hopping around and alive. We're like, it's like Bunny Hinn. Like, he is healed <laughs> with... Man, I've been waiting to use that. But here's, so here's what happened. You're looking at that and thinking, what on earth is that? That is a legitimate question. Romeo, this, the story goes that about a month into this, we come out and Romeo is uh, back to having a stroke again and, and Romeo died. Okay, that's very sad. We didn't know what killed him, we didn't, but now I think I know what, he, what killed him. Because Sugar uh, went and dug a hole in the ground and had babies yesterday. I think his, the last thing Romeo did <laughs> was uh, procreate and then fell over dead. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, those little pink things that you can't, I guess can't see now, but th that is in a hole in the ground. There are four little baby bunnies in the ground of our backyard uh, that, uh, that are now the descendants of Bunny Hinn. And so we, we don't know how this is going to go other than my daughter is ecstatic. Because here's the thing, we're already negotiating. She wanted to have little baby bunnies, and we're talking like next year. This is... My daughter, Ashley, when she prays for stuff, is kind of unfortunate because she gets it a lot. And I say unfortunate because it's things like a horse. Like, she got a horse. Because she asked God. She gave me, have you ever wanted something so bad, Daddy, that your heart hurts? And 
I'm like, uh, yeah, uh, whatever you want, uh, half the kingdom. But, uh, but she wanted this little baby. She didn't want to have babies. And so against my best efforts, at some point, apparently Romeo done jumped the fence, uh, made a baby, and got back without anybody knowing because, and that's what killed him. So the, the groaning, <laughs> uh, so apparently she groaned underground. We didn't hear it. We had no idea what was going on. Shannon came home yesterday. And, uh, and there are babies in the backyard with uh, Sugar the rabbit uh, who uh, came home from Tulsa. <laughs> Paul is linking together birth pains and us. Birth pains and life. And he will, in this chapter, he, he says you're going to have groaning all around you. He talks about that in creation, that there's going to be groaning in you, and that there would be groaning on behalf of you. It's a little bit like a busy day on the birth floor of Baptist Hospital. I don't know if you've uh, been in one of those, the guys, when, when uh, mama's all hooked up to the machines and stuff. You guys that have done this at home don't know this, but, but the dudes will occasionally sneak down the hall, get a cup of coffee, and what you hear on the way down the hall is at best disconcerting, because you walk by a room where the door's kind of closed, or actually it is closed, and you can still hear a plane as a day, that... Like a cat, you know, that's being killed, but it's the mom, you know, giving birth. Lots of groaning going on in, uh, in the scriptures, in Romans 8 specifically. And he would go on to say, you know what, let's skip ahead for the sake of time. How about that? You're like, Darren, that is a great idea. He would talk about the groaning that is all around us. That creation itself, all around us, will be groaning. And if you know anything about the contractions, the closer you get to the launch code, you know, being initiated, that the, the closer those contractions get together. And we have seen in our world the creation itself groaning. Earthquakes, tsunamis, wildfires, drought. And you're thinking, this, you know, it seems like every, every time I turn around, it's because it is. It's because those contractions, I believe, are getting closer. And I can think of no better ministry for a church to have than the neonatal ICU ministry, otherwise known as disaster relief. Because as creation is groaning, us being there to be beside them in the, when the earth is groaning, when the earthquakes are happening... And as conduit, that is something we have done since the start. We, the first Sunday that we had to cancel as a church wasn't for snow, it was for a flood. And you could see in the middle there, that truck of sand might have been actually behind Tim and Edie's house, as I recall, trying to sandbag to keep their house from being flooded in May of 2010. And that day we were all over the place. I was dressed up like the Gordon's fish guy with the big yellow thing and helping people with pumps. And I think, actually, if I remember right, Alan, you were visiting in town, picked a fine time to visit uh, before they even moved here. And Alan was up there dressed like the Gorton's fish guy with me. And we're handing out pumps that came from Corey. And it's the body of Christ all coming together to do that. That is what Andrew and Glenda Basher do with hopeforce.org. When disaster strikes, they are there. And it just hit me. It's just the neonatal. It's the ICU of the birthing pains of creation as it grown. So whether it's in Haiti or whether it is here, 
I can think of no more important ministry than for us to be prepared, to be ready, to be nimble, and on the spot and on the go. The ministry of being prepared for that and ready to go. And it has been a huge blessing to watch you guys do that. I'm not telling you anything you don't already know because you're there. You're the ones that manned the semi for the supplies. You're the one running the chainsaws. That's the, the neonatal. You're just the nurse in the NICU helping creation be born. Creation is groaning in anticipation of the kingdom of God, of being birthed into this new thing. And in verse 20, it actually, I think, clarifies it when it says that for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered, does that name, word sound familiar? From the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. What we're being delivered from inside of us, by the way, is a, a, the word futility there, I think your King James Bible renders it as vanity. Now, vanity isn't just I stand in the mirror and print my hair, and you're like, well, obviously, you didn't do that today. But it's not, I like to look, you know, look great, and, you know, that's not vanity. That is just a symptom of vanity. Vanity is an emptiness inside of us. This thing that uh, Blaise Pascal said so geniusly when he said that I think that every man is born with a God-shaped vacuum in their lives that can only be fulfilled through God and the person of Jesus Christ. I think, by the way, that the poet George Carlin might have said it even better when he said that uh, try to be happy by accumulating possessions is like trying to satisfy hunger by taping sandwiches all over your body. It's, you're not solving the problem because God intuit, he put it inside of us. God loved you enough to give you the choice. He's not forcing himself on you. That would be spiritual rape. He says, I love you and part of love is I've given you the choice. But out of his mercy, infinite mercy, when we sing how much he loves us, he said, I'm going to give you the choice, but I'm going to put this hunger inside of you. And it only will be fulfilled once you find me. And you'll keep searching. And you'll keep looking. And you'll keep trying to squeeze things in. And ah, it didn't work. It didn't fit. It didn't. Because what Solomon learned was what George Carlin learned, what Pascal learned. Solomon learned that it's all vanity. And that word in Ecclesiastes, it's actually vapor in some translations because that's what it means. It's vapid. It's vapor. If you've been in a room like a steam room or if you've been at a rock and roll concert and there's fog, Craig, then Craig was our fog guy at, a, at another church. Um, you can see it. It's all around us, but you can't touch it. You can't take it. You can't bring it home with you because it's vapor. It's gone. And that's what he's saying. Vanity, vanity, it's all vanity. And he would go on and, you know, he said, he, he, when he wrote this was, by the way, after he had had a thousand wives. Holy Lord. A thousand of them. It was after he had become so rich that it says that they didn't even bother to count the gold. I mean, the silver. They counted the gold, but they're like, you know, it was so much, we're not even going to count the silver. We're pretty sure there's a lot, but we're not even going to count it because there's so much. And then he would go on and become with science and botany and biology. And he would become a writer and a poet and try to fill it with art. 
And after this life of all of these things, at the end of this life, he said, vanity, vanity, it's all vanity. But then he says in Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and I love this, what is the answer to this? What is the conclusion of this matter? What is it that fills that vapor, that hole, that emptiness? It's this, it's loving God and obeying his commandments. The guy that tried it all would say that. And if you are here today, whether you're young or you're old, if you don't already know it, you're going to figure it out. That all these things that we try, try to make a lot of money. I'm going to be successful. I'm going to party. I'm going to, that, that relationship. That, they all become vanity because what those are meant to be are outgrowths, results of God filling our lives. If I allow him to fill the hole in me, the knowing that he loved me enough to wire me that I would even need him to begin with to find him, then I can go and enjoy money without it getting a hold of me. Education, art, all those things, they're never meant to fill that vacuum. And when he says that creation is groaning, he's not speaking specifically just of the creation, the trees and the rocks, and the, but of us. We are created beings. And he created you and I with that hole that we are, when he says that we're subject to vanity, that's what it means. That I'm subject to that hole so that I will constantly be on the search for him. And that someday when we are born into this, the world itself born into this, that if you've never be, uh, accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and allowed him to transform your life, and you are what some would call an unbeliever, some would just say, you know, I just don't follow Jesus, and that's who you are, that groaning inside of you is for that. The groaning inside of our world is for Jesus. But catch this. He's saying that we will be delivered, that it will be delivered into it. In that metaphor, the groaning isn't the mom, it's the baby. You see, creation is being born again. So there will be a new heaven and a new earth. That you and I will get a new body, a new existence. We are inside, and you got to believe it. If you're the baby, I appreciate the mom, and I get it. That's awful. But if you're sitting there minding your own business, swimming up sound, upside down in a sack of amniotic fluid that's perfectly warm, dark, and it's awesome, and you're safe, and then all of a sudden it's like, the world's going on. I've been enjoying life eating food through my belly button for nine months. What's happening? And before you know it, you're being squeezed like the equivalent of a ham through your nose, just out this. And it doesn't make any sense, and I don't understand it. Creation is being reborn. If you are someone who's never said to the Lord, I really want you in my life, and I believe that you're the Son of God, and then you're somebody that is a perfect candidate for being born today, born again. You're, you're, create, you're a new creation from the inside. It's just God comes in and changes you. It doesn't mean that you won't groan, but it'll be different. Because he goes on to say that there's going to be a groaning within us, that with us as believers, there's going to be a groaning. But it's a different groaning. It's not the uh, mama down the hall. It's not the baby. It's a different one. It's a, it's a groaning for adoption. Just a few verses earlier in verse 15, he would say that we are given the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father, which just simply means Daddy. 
I love nothing more when I get home and my little guy or girls are, oh, daddy, daddy, they're so excited to see me. There's something about daddy. And that's what he says. And in our darkest hour in our need that we can say, daddy, because we're adopted. And it's not a groaning of being born. It's a groaning of being a couple of things. One is adapted. That we're adapting into this world that he has for us. We, I saw this recently uh, uh, with the Swain family who moved here from Buffalo, New York. And if you move from out of town here from a state and a culture as distinct as the Buffalo, you, you know you come to Tennessee and some things are different. They wave at you here. People pack and hate everywhere here. It's just different. So they are becoming adapted to Tennessee. And so there's groaning on the way, you know, but, but they're adapting to it. Another picture of it was if you've ever adopted a pet from a shelter, you know that when the pet comes home, don't, don't do this video yet, when the pet comes home, there are some things that has to change in their lives. There is some adapting that is required. Now, we adopted a dog that, uh, whose legal name is Adonis, which didn't know that was even possible to have a legal name. But we're like, there's no way I'm going to stand at the back door and go, Adonis, you know, come, Adonis, come, Adonis. But they had nicknamed him in the foster care. They had nicknamed him uh, Samson. What I did not know was the reason why they had nicknamed him Samson, and that was that he couldn't be kept in any kennel. It would just bust out of him, break out, shatter him. He busted out of the metal one we had him. He busted out of the big plastic with the metal door one we had him. He busted out of all of them. And so we <laughs> thought, well, we'll leave him in the bathroom. And this, is, uh, this was part of uh, Samson's groaning pains, adapting to living in our house. When you leave a dog in the bathroom while you're gone. See that? He ate the bathroom. Yeah. And then we have this over here. By the way, that's very high up. Yep. What a mess. The miracle is even this dog is even still alive. The doorknob. Light fixture. Can't tell on that one. There he is. He has claustrophobic issues apparently, because he's broken out of his cage every time. I see you, Samson. Very I was recording on a Blackberry, puppy. my apologies. Very naughty puppy. There's Cowboy. Samson had to adapt to his new life. <laughs> and there was some groaning that happened while he adapted to his life. But probably the biggest picture, the best picture, is of, of international adoption. If any of you have inter uh, adopted internationally, you know this. It takes a while. But there's a period of time where you are their daddy, you're their mommy, but they're not at their house yet. They're not home. They are your children. They are, we just saw this happen with the Colson family, uh, friends of ours from here in town. And they adopted these three little beautiful brothers and sisters from Haiti. And they weren't home for a while, but it was still daddy. When the phone rang, it was daddy. When... They went to visit, it was mommy, and eventually they came home. That was just a couple months ago when they made it back uh, after two years after the earthquake, made it home with their mommy and their daddy. And in the meantime, there was some groaning. Groaning inside, and it's funny, you hear groaning and you immediately think childbirth, but in this verse where 
uh, he talks about groaning this time, it's actually referenced more to a sigh than it is a groan. It's more of a longing than it is a pain. And those times when you're, if you've been on it, you know you hang up the phone and there's just the, <sighs> that's what it's referring to. Inside of us, we're groaning and we're sighing. And we're sighing because we're in this body that is decaying. I'm getting old, clearly. I don't operate the same as I used to. And you know, if you start as you get up in age, you stop realizing that I, you don't think, oh, I'm not 20 anymore. I'm going to try and do that. And next thing you know, you sprain something or pop something out. Or, because that's what we, we're in this boxed in thing. And this groaning is for us to be what we were created to be. And just like Samson, we get to feel a little boxed in and a little panicked and a little bit of groaning with it, a little bit of sighing. And, and we can react kind of poorly in that. But at the same time, we might as well just relax and realize, hey, this is, who, this is part of life. That we are groaning inside of us. When you look to the next verse in 26, and I know there's a lot going on, but if you could pay attention just because I, I want you to hear what the Lord says in this because it'll, I think it'll revolutionize. When he says that likewise, the Spirit also helps us in our weaknesses for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. He who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Here's why I think that is important. It doesn't, sometimes I'll throw in the, well, sometimes I don't know how to pray. So, I, you know, he's saying, you don't know how to pray. You don't know. I don't know how to pray when someone is going to get, they want this new job. Do they pray, hey, Darren, pray that I'll get the job. And I don't know how to pray because I don't, maybe that job will be bad for them. Or maybe it'll be awesome for them. I don't know. I don't know when I look at someone who is suffering to pray for their healing. I don't know, do I pray that God takes them home? Do I pray that they have a miraculous healing? I don't know. Because God who knows, it says that the Holy Spirit that knows and works knows it all. And so, and here's the freedom, and this is, we're going to land on this point. Here's the freedom in this. I don't have to know. Because it says, look what he's saying, I will pray on your behalf. I'll intercede for you. Now, does that mean, Darren, don't pray at all? Oh, no, 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 not at all. What it means is, you pray, whatever God is putting on your heart or whatever you feel, if it's just a sigh, if it's a groan, if it's a God this. I mean, I would caution you against directing God. That never works out. Your prayer should be directed towards him, not directing him. That's my opinion that I think I can back up in Scripture because God's got this big picture cooking. That I don't know. I mean, if you remember, Jeremiah prayed, oh God, please don't let our people get captured. Don't let them be taken off into captivity. And they did. But God had a plan. There was something going on. There was something cooking. But here's what I'm getting at. There's this thing that's, that I've been told, maybe you've been told, you got to be specific in your prayers. Write them out. Tell them exactly what you want, because otherwise you'll never get them answered. I don't know where they found that in Scripture, because it ain't in there. I can ask. He says, you have not because you ask not. But just because I ask doesn't mean I get it, because he will say then, ask according to my name, my nature, which basically means my nature, this is who I am as God, and so my nature is to give you what is best for you. No, just as much of an answer as yes is. But here's the freedom. When I don't know how to pray, 
I'm praying, God, do this, God. And it's like the spirit on the, in the middle is interceding on my behalf saying, hey, I know that he's asking for this, God, but he doesn't know what's coming. So, you know, let's go ahead and do what we know is the plan. And I can have rest and peace in that to pray that I didn't, so when it doesn't happen, what I wanted didn't happen, I don't have to freak out and think, oh, I didn't pray hard enough. I didn't ask enough. I didn't beg. I didn't, it's just no. There's just the answer. <laughs> My kids, whenever they ask me for something, they don't know the answer in advance, but that doesn't keep them from asking. Repeatedly. And it doesn't happen if it's not my will. And here's the thing. I'm a dad. I'm finite. I don't know. But God is infinite, and he knows. So what you get if you ask him for it is going to be amazing, and it's going to be great. If it feels uncomfortable, I mean, I don't know. If someone is dying and they're suffering, you're thinking, why not take me home today? Maybe God needed one more day to perfect that place on the other side for them, that he says, I'll make a place for you, that it's so amazing. He needed one more day, and so that one more day of suffering for them, they didn't die that day, they went the next day, was because there's something awesome, more awesome on the other side. You're like, Darren, is that what's going on? I don't know. It says, I don't know how to pray. I just don't. But the Spirit will. So I continue to pray. Sometimes I'm groaning. I'm like, oh. When I discovered I had a staph infection on my wrist, I'm not just trying to be you know, stylish with this thing. I looked at it Friday. I was like, oh, God, seriously? Okay, well, you know. Uh, but it was a groaning of acknowledgement of, uh, it's out of my control. God, I'd love for you to heal this. I'm going to go to the doctor. And I know that on the other side, I have a spirit that is interceding on my behalf. And you do too. A spirit that is groaning alongside of you and with you on your behalf saying, hey, I know that Darren's asking for this, but this is so much better. Let's do this one. Let's blow his mind with that. We continue to groan. The creation will groan around us, but they are growing. They are groaning pains. Birth pains are an awesome metaphor because a birth pain is a pain with purpose. Because on the other side of that, if you're the baby and that little sack of amniotic fluid that seems so awesome, and you're on the other side, eventually, like, oh, man, I can't even compare it. I don't want to climb back in there. This is awesome. Know that that's us. We're the baby. We're in the amniotic fluid, and it's awesome, and we feel safe, and we don't want it to be, but know that what he's birthing is us in the kingdom all at once, so that as we are born, that whatever it is, this, the contraction, the this, the that, it's for a purpose, for something beautiful, for something amazing. And I say childbirth is perfect because you women, you've been through this rodeo a few times and you just keep signing up for it again. Like seriously, after you've been through that and you want to do it again? But because it was so beautiful and so incomparable to what you went through. Would you uh, bow your heads? Lord, we ask for your uh, spirit to speak to us today as we worship that there's groaning all around us, groaning inside of us. But there's the groaning that is on behalf of us. Thank you so much for that, that you speak on my behalf, that you love me so much that you're going to speak for me. Might that become a reality for us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Um.